And I want you guys to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read a little, a uh, few verses out of three and then a few verses out of four. We're continuing in the book of Acts. We have a few more folks that need Bibles here. Just keep your hand up. They'll get you. Uh, we're in the book of Acts. We're continuing. We're in the 20s. We're almost there. A few more chapters and we'll be done with the book. We've been in this book for quite a while, which in some cases you may tire a little bit perhaps of just going through. Uh, one book of the Bible, but hey, I praise God that we go slow enough to be able to be hitting our hearts with the Word of God, aren't you? Wouldn't you rather spend time going deep in the Word of God than just skimming it or getting huge chunks that just go past you? Um, that's our goal is to always be faithful, to honor the Word of God, knowing what an impact it has in our lives, and we give room for it to do its work. And just as Katie just prayed, it doesn't return to him void. And so our desire is just to do that, to give proper uh, honor and uh, room for God to use his word. The, the later 20s in the book of Acts, where we'll be, and we're going to read out of 1 Peter in just a second, but um, in just a way of introduction for the 20s, uh, Brian and I, Pastor Brian, who's out of town this weekend, um, he asked me to teach this, this morning, uh, we were talking about just the different challenges that it is to teach um, in, in this kind of part of the scripture, which is more descriptive of different historical events, rather than uh, maybe an epistle or a gospel where you have a story or a very definitive message that comes through the word right to your heart. These are more descriptive of events, and it, and it pre presents kind of a challenge on, Lord, what do you want to speak to us through these events that obviously you have your hand in, but you want us to learn from, and um, inspired, in this case, Luke, to pen for us. I wanted to encapsulate our message this morning, which is just Paul's trials. Just Paul's trials. If you happen to be taking notes, you can write that down. But I wanted to encapsulate it both at the beginning and hopefully at the end to this verse out of these verses out of 1 Peter. First of all, in chapter 3 of verse Peter, or 1 Peter, starting in verse 13, going down to 16. And who is he who will harm you? If you become followers of what is good, but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify, set apart the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. It's interesting, he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Turn over to chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Right now I'm reading out of the New King James, so if it's a little bit different than the ESV, that's why. It says, verse, uh, verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, 
or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel of God? He goes on to talk about some other things. And obviously the reason why I'm starting that, I think it frames well our our whole intention of this morning's message, and that is to just remind us that when things come up that are confusing and difficult in times of trial, we shouldn't think of it as something that's strange, especially if you're suffering for righteousness' sake. If you're, if you're being true to who God, and, who God is and what he's done in your life, we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't think it's something strange for us to suffer some sort of persecution. And uh, if we never converse about the Lord, if we don't ever let these things out of our hearts through our mouth that God's blessed us with into the lives of those around us, then we're probably not going to suffer much. But the more you do, you know, if, you're, if you've lived any uh, part of your life in, in, in the community, in the culture in which we live, you're definitely going to have some sort of trial. Some sort of trial. Um, you may find yourself looking at um, suffering for your commitment to give credence to what God's done in your life and who he is. That's what Paul's experiencing right now in the 20s of the, of the book of Acts. He's looking at uh, a situation where he's going through trial. We're talking about trials as a big, uh, broad category. And here Paul's literally going through trials, plural. Uh, if I were Paul in his shoes, and we're going to read in just a second, I'd be going, again, God, again, again. And let's see how he responds, shall we? So, going to the book of Acts, chapter 24. We're going to pick up in the last verse of what Pastor Brian taught last week, which if you um, missed that message, uh, we do have them archived on Facebook uh, for those that we were able to live stream. And uh, you can always get the audio on uh, calvarysill.com, and you can stream it there, download it there. But in the book of Acts chapter 24, verse 24, the last part of this chapter, Luke the doctor records these words. He says, After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix, he was alarmed. And he said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul so he sent for him often and conversed with him. So we see his motivation here. This is the governorship, the Sanhedrin, made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, the leaders of the temple. They're bringing great accusations against Paul. He's bringing up trouble in our province. And if you're a leader of Rome, appointed by the emperor, and you have upheaval in your province, is that a good thing or a bad thing? If you're in Felix's Space, his position, his role, is it a good thing that you have plenty of things that are going back to Rome? Like, did you know what happened in the Judean province this week? You know, the, you don't want to be on the news, okay? You don't want to be headline news. You want everything to be what? Pax Romana. You want things to be peaceful, given the rule of Rome extended to these different provinces. Well, Felix is having a time with Paul, 
And finally, you just, we see his motivation. He wants to get rid of him, and he wants to get some kind of bribe from him. When that doesn't happen, uh, he says he, seen, he sends for him often, hoping this will happen. It doesn't, but he still talks with Paul. And Paul gives him the gospel, appears. And he talks about righteousness. I'm sure he, he was mentioning how Jesus is our righteousness. Uh, he, he was familiar uh, because his wife was Jewish with the Jewish uh, religion. And so he talks about self-control. And, and when it comes to sin, how vital it is for us to live according to how God would want us to live. And the coming judgment. Can you imagine Paul in that conversation? You're, you're, you're feeling that calling from God to be bold with not necessarily the message of God loves you, although that's part of it. But here comes judgment. So you got to get a sense for Paul is risking his own life and his well-being to be true to that part of the word of God that says there is a pending judgment coming. And that's oftentimes the most difficult part to talk about with people because it's not necessarily something you anticipate them wanting to hear if they're not following the word of God even more so, right? So he's taking great risk in talking to Felix and saying these things about, hey, we have issues of righteousness, issues of self-control, issues of coming judgment. We don't see Paul saying, and and by the way, I'd really like to be released because this is all a farce. He gives a defense, but when he's talking to him, he's witnessing to this governor, Felix. Verse 27 says, when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. So I want to look at some of these characters as we go into chapter 25. I want to introduce some of the people in this next chapter. I'm going to go through all of 25 and and who's playing there. So Governor Felix is the first one. You can see on the slide there. He was appointed by Claudius in AD 53. By the way, any history buffs in here? You guys just love history, can't get enough of it. All right, well, I'm just going to talk to you the rest of the time because you're the only one besides me. I know my wife, yeah, she's up there. She loves history. She's a teacher. Anybody else? Okay, come on now. Now, I want to ask you guys, why is history so cool, especially this history? What pumps you up about knowing more about this historical period and, and in particular Rome? Anything particularly excites you or gets your blood flowing? Pardon? It's a heritage of our faith. It's, a heritage of our faith. It's, the, it's the background screen to the message. It's, it's the God's bigger picture of what's going on in light of the, 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 the events that transpire one moment to the next. If you don't have the history going on, you miss so much of the power of what God's doing in this situation, especially when you're dealing with Roman history, Roman history. Um, what empire do you think of in the past more than Rome? I mean, their extent of their control in their rulership through their different provinces that they set up was so vast, it was unlike the world had ever seen, perhaps ever has been. If you look at the maps of how they, they expanded, I mean, it gets your blood pumping because you're realizing, wow, this is happening, not independent of God's will, but dependent on God's will. Okay, God is allowing Rome to expand to this extent that he knows he's going to send his apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, the apostle, who he has to convert miraculously on the way to Damascus, who is a Roman citizen from Tarsus, 
in Cilicia, which is a little bit north, south Tur Turkey. He's a Roman citizen. He's, he's uniquely qualified to go to, eventually, what's going to happen is he's going to get to Rome to talk to Caesar Nero himself, the head of the whole thing. Not only that, but he's uniquely qualified to give credence of the whole Jewish faith because he was raised in the establishment of a Pharisee. Paul was so zealous about the Jewish faith that here God's going to make this backdrop of the, what's happening with Rome's expansion all the way to the headquarters of Rome itself to be before Nero and not only be able to say, I know about the charges being brought to me, but here's the backdrop of how Jesus himself died as the Lamb of God. As, as prophesied in the Old Testament, my fathers, Paul would say, has, have written and give testimony of this miraculous Savior that's to come. And I'm here to tell you it's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So you have this backdrop of Rome. You have one of the, the, the provinces being Judea itself. Felix is given charge of it. He's not having an easy time. He keeps coming up against this whole issue with this leader, Paul, of this Jewish sect. Uh, that believes in this person, Jesus, and even goes so far to believe that he was risen from the dead. Well, Felix, he's, he's given the boot. Um, he, was, he was appointed by Claudius, the emperor. Uh, Festus comes in, Portius Festus. He replaces him, and he's sent by Nero himself. Now, Nero, uh, we'll get to him in a second, but uh, not a good guy. Not a good guy. 60 AD, he was sent uh, in, again, historical backdrop. And history itself uh, supports these facts and these dates of who these rulers were. And, um, and so we have credence that this literature, this historical narrative through Paul, uh, excuse me, through Luke, is historically accurate. We have Paul the Apostle, of course. Uh, Paul the Apostle is the fulfillment of 1 Peter scripture that we read. Always ready. He's always ready. You guys, what makes it so that we're not ready most of the time in our lives to give a defense? Just name some things. Group participation. What are some things that keep us from being ready to give a defense for the hope that's in us? Fear. Fear. Big one. Absolutely. The circumstances raise in, in, in what's at stake, the more fear goes with it. Yeah? What would you say, Cameron? Stress or worry, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Our well-being, uh, our, our status, maybe our, where we're at in life, maybe even career. Um, definitely relationships. A lot of fear, a lot of worry. What else? Distractions. What kind of distractions? Everything. <laughs> uh, I, the world, basically. The world. Yeah. Maybe we could say the desires they're in, but also what? the giving into the world system, and I would even go so far as just to specifically say sin. When, when, when you entertain sin in the heart, your readiness, it goes down. It has to, because there's competition between your old man and your new creation in Christ. And, and, and if those were in a dogfight against each other, whatever's being fed the most is what I've heard in the past. I love this analogy. If you feed the flesh, you're going to lose out in your boldness. If you, if you, if you feed the spiritual man in, 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 or woman inside of you, through spiritual refreshment and nourishment, mainly through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, through devoting yourself to give and to serve, those, that, that's when you have the more bold, you know, the more bold, you're just ready to give a defense, yeah? Not, not difficult to find 
the reasons why, but here's the difficulty is when we do uh, get distracted, unless the Lord intervenes, we can go indefinitely in that direction. Our effectiveness as a witness goes down. So, so all of our prayers can just go in this way as, Lord, keep me ready. Let me heed uh, Peter, for example, in being ready to give a defense because I'm only going to be ready as much as I'm seeking after you in your heart. Yeah? We, have you seen that to be true in your life? Uh, and then when you're, when you're in a place where you're pursuing righteousness for, for his glory's sake, the opportunities, Mike, you talked about this um, last week, last week, right, when you are up here? You guys are, are get, you're ready and you're looking for opportunities to serve your neighborhood. And it was a great practical way of like, wow, you can only be at that place when you have a heart for your neighbors because you spent time with the Lord and he's prepared your hearts and you're going out with a readiness to give a, a, a reason for the hope that lies within you. And I thought that was a great way just to explain, here's a practical way we do that. Well, Paul exemplified this to the nth degree, didn't he? But he was facing fear, worry, his own tendency to shrink back, maybe even his own guilty conscience of things that he had done in his past to persecute even the believers that he now loved. King Agrippa and Bernice, uh, these other characters, they come on the scene. We'll talk to them a little, a little bit uh, later in the passage, but I just want to introduce them to you. This is King Agrippa II. Here's the lineup. Here's the family heritage uh, of King Agrippa II. Um, this, is, this is really a juxtaposition for me, given the fact that I did a wedding yesterday, and the wedding involved two people that came from a great heritage of Christian faith. Both parents married for years, like 64 combined years of marriage, just raised in, the, in, in a Christian, God-fearing homes, and they were getting uh, you know, united in Christ together as husband and wife. Well, King Agrippa's lineup was the opposite. His great, he was a great-grandson, of Herod Agrippa. Who was Herod Agrippa? He was the one who tried to kill all the babies so he'd get rid of Jesus as an infant. That's his great-grandfather. Um, his great-uncle beheaded John the Baptist. So we got another great, awesome family heritage. Now, the third one, his father uh, ordered the execution of James, and he sent Peter to prison. So you got, you got this now... You have Festus wanting to bring in the king who's visiting, King Agrippa, who's got this amazing heritage against believers to the point where he even wanted to kill the baby Jesus as an infant. So here comes Paul. He, it's not a stranger to who this person is. And talk about fear increasing. He's bringing in who? That kind of reaction, right? Natural sense of like, whoa, not a good track record from this family Probably not looking good that I'll get a fair trial. So anyways, Bernice, who's Bernice? Guess, this is where it gets uh, the, the drama increases or the soap opera. It, this is half-sister. They, they didn't, yeah. Um, there's this, I won't go into the details of like brothers and sisters, but there's connections with Drusilla and Felix and it's this weird thing, but... Um, basically, all you need to know is uh, Bernice is his half-sister. She's really beautiful, as Drusilla was. Uh, this, is, this is from um, other historical documents that say so. And she eventually leaves for another guy named Titus. And you guys may know who Titus is. He's the one who destroyed the temple in 70 AD. 
So she's got this checkered past. She was even so morally uh, uh, questionable. I'm trying to find the right word there. It's not escaping me. Um, Rome kicked her out. Like, they didn't even have any patience with her. So not good characters coming on the scene to help give a just trial for Paul the Apostle. So every, every character in here, Paul's like, hey, God, when does this go in my favor? <laughs> you know? When do, when, do, when do I start seeing something that's going to give me some hope? I'm not saying Paul said that, but I certainly would, given the circumstance. Uh, other characters, Jewish Sanhedrin. These guys are persistent. Do you know they've been trying to kill Paul for about two years at this point? That's, uh, that's, that's a good group who have the ears of these Roman rulers for two years. In fact, they're like, hey, send Paul back to Jerusalem from Caesarea so we can kill him on the way. Uh, next, you have believers in the community. I, I thought of these people in the midst of this story, and I know we haven't read it yet, but just bear with me. The believers in the community have, been, have, been, have wept with Paul during his three missionary journeys that have already transpired at this point. He's visited different spots around the Mediterranean and wept with leaders. I think of the time where he was with the, the leaders with uh, Ephesus a couple chapters ago. You guys remember that? They sat and they mourned and they wept because they, they said, we're not going to ever see you again. You've had such an impact in our lives You've brought us to Jesus, faith in him as the Messiah, and we don't want to see you go. Or you've, you've allowed us to even know what Messiah even means if they're Gentiles. And, they're, and, they're, and I can only imagine that in this whole thing, while they know Paul's being tried after leader after leader, what do you think they're doing? What are the believers doing? They're not able to go well, some of them are actually able to go to minister to Paul because he had some privileges here to get visits and such and get ministered to. I, I think a majority of the Christians at this time are just feeling helpless, and so they're left to pray. How much prayer do you think was being prayed for Paul? When, when you're going through something in life and you just have just maybe one or two people or maybe a group of people say, hey, I've been praying for you. And you know they mean it. Man, boldness, reassurance, uh, increased faith, patience. It's, it's like God has this, this way of encouragement through the rest of your brothers and sisters, or at least a portion of them, to say, I'm with you. I'm praying for God's blessing. I'm really powerless to do anything to change your circumstances. But I know who can and who has a perfect will within your circumstances, I'm going to be talking to him. I want his ear on your behalf. Yeah. And when you get that encouragement, it's like no other, huh? Just pumps you up. We have to do a better job of, 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 of communicating. I'm here for you in prayer. I'm supporting you in prayer. And we have to do a better job receiving. Really, what does that mean? That means this, the God of the universe who controls the backdrop as well as the specific scenes, is hearing the prayers of the saints on behalf of a brother or sister that's going through it. And what an encouragement that is. Raise your hand if you've been strengthened in times in your, in, in your history, if you can think back at the time where you really were dependent on the prayers of the saints. Just raise your hand. 
if you've been there. Literally, you knew there's no way I'm going to survive this if I don't have the support of my brothers and sisters. That's why we're a family. That's why we're different than any other club that gets together once a week because we have investment in each other's lives. When one mourns, we mourn with them. When one receives blessing, we rejoice in it. When people are going through trial, literally trials, like Paul, we, we are called to pray and support each other. Amen? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, casual and curious non-believers are everywhere. These people are, are taking in the news. Some people are really curious about Paul and his message. There's a whole gamut of things. We'll see them joining up at the theater. And then lastly, Jesus. Look in chapter 23, verse 11. Just a couple chapters before. He knows that Paul's going to be in places where he's going to have to draw on this exchange with the Savior. It says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. Be of good cheer, Paul. As you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Jesus right here is validating Paul. Jesus is giving credence to the fact that Paul's in God's will and that the, the presence of the Lord Jesus will not be wanting. He will be with him. He says, I am here. I am with you. You can rejoice. You can be in good cheer. You can be encouraged and strengthen Paul because I'm not leaving you. And more than that, I have a will for you not only to give testimony here in the headquarters of the Jewish faith, but I'm going to take you to the headquarters of the very uh, Gentile religious uh, political center. I'm going to take you to Rome. And so what an encouragement Jesus is. Through this whole story, this whole backdrop, Paul has has an ability to take God's word and find strength at each challenge, at each trial. So let's look at, I'm going to show a slide that, that Pastor Brian put up last week. Two main spots. The circle one is, uh, is the prison that um, is believed to be the holding place of Paul this time. And, um, and then the, up to the right is the theater. And uh, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to look in the passage. It, it made, makes reference to a hall. could also be known as a theater. And many believe this is indeed where they had that take place as Paul's trial takes place in that theater. So you can get a little idea what it would have been like for Paul to go before that many people and we know there was, it was filled to the brim, given on the description here, uh, of what it was like to be that, uh, that apostle in that situation. So let's get into it. Acts 25. Now, three days later, uh, after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem from Caesarea, Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul. Now, Felix couldn't take care of it, so now Festus is in the place of governor, He's going to hear these charges. And they urged him, verse 3, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem. Why? Not that he would have a good trial, not because it was more convenient. It's because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Hey, our trial thing isn't working out. We're going to take him out. We're going to get to him. One way or another, we're bent. We had an oath together. We're going to kill Paul. Well, Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea, and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So Festus is new to the area. A few days spent in Jerusalem. He gets word from the Jewish leadership. We want Paul to come here and be tried. He's like, nope. He's, he's there. He's in a good place. I'm going to stay there. In fact, I'm going there shortly. Verse 5. So, said he, let the men of authority among you 
go down with me, and if there's anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. Verse 6, after he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. When he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Isn't that interesting? You'd think they would have gotten so tired of the, of the, of the baseless charges and, and losing uh, an argument on whether he deserved to die or not, that they would tire of it. But they're not. Here they are doing it again. The Jews had come down, stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. This isn't a Jewish matter. This is a Roman citizen matter. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If then I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death." I feel like Paul and his innocence is he's super bold. When you have innocence, you're bold. And Paul is like, I haven't done anything against the temple. I haven't done anything to, to commit riots. I haven't led a charge against the people against Rome, the established government that we're living under. He's like, if, if you find something I'm guilty of, then hey, I'll take the punishment. In this case, death. And he says, and, but if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. Rome, you can't take an innocent man and give him to the Jews to kill. You can't take an innocent man and kill me yourself. I need a fair trial. And then he finally says, I appeal to Caesar. Man, at this moment, you gotta, you gotta understand, this was heavy. I appeal to Caesar. He's basically saying, I want my case to go before the Supreme Court. As a Roman citizen, every citizen had the right to appeal to the highest court, which is amazing. Think about that. You have a, a society at least bent on the goal, whether or not that happened in real life or not, depending on the situation happened or not, but they had a goal to see justice be done. It's an amazing gift. It doesn't have to be that way. And Paul knows his rights as a Roman citizen. First, it was to not be flogged without a trial. Remember that part? He's like, hey, do you know you're flogging a Roman citizen? And it's like, oh, time out. We need to stop everything. I did not know. Okay? To this point, he's like, I have rights. I want to go to the Supreme Court. I want to go to Caesar himself. Now, can you imagine, you guys? It's not a, a secret that Nero's not a good ruler here. And he's like, I'm going to appeal because my goal, no matter who's in office, no matter who's ruling, my Will is God's will. God's will for me is to go to Rome to testify of Jesus. So he's like, I know I have one left in my pocket. I'm going to appeal to Caesar. If nothing else, hopefully I'll get sent there in a, in a, in a humanly self, uh, sense. He knows God, Jesus has already told him, you're going to testify in Rome. So he says, I appeal to Caesar. The irony here is that we know from Luke's account that they would have let him go. 
they would have let him go at this point. If he hadn't done that, he would have been a free man. But his goal wasn't to be, get this, his goal wasn't to be just a free man. His goal was to go where God wanted him to go, even if it was an unjust reason that got him there. I'm not getting a fair trial. So here's some simple application at this point. In my mind, my heart is to say, God, when do I demand justice at the expense of your will? When do I, when do I appeal? How do I know, God, when to follow you in righteousness, for righteousness' sake? Like, this is unjust. I'm going to appeal to the Supreme Court. How do I know when it's your will that I'm treated unjustly? And we don't know. But we do know that God works together what? All things. Whether it's just things or unjust things. Say that with me. God works together all things. Together for good. For whom? For those who love God and who are called according to whose purpose? His purpose. That's one of the promises you have to bank on in life. Especially when you're treated unjustly. Because your boldness can lead you into like, I am innocent and there's no way I'm accepting this unjust thing. But God has bigger plans at times to even let the righteous suffer persecution so that what? So that we can be ready to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. For the reasons why we believe Jesus is who he says he is and God has a way of doing that that doesn't always make sense to us. In fact, it can be very frustrating in the moments. I'm sure Paul, in those two years, he's sitting in prison while this whole change of uh, leadership goes on, and he's, and he's wondering, God, and, and Pastor Brian has brought this out before. It's not new as far as a message to our hearts, but sometimes we need to hear it repeatedly before it gets in. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always make sense. In fact, if you lived as a believer very long, a lot of times you're more confused than you aren't confused. Raise your hand if you, I'm going way out on a limb here, have ever felt that way, confused in the midst of your circumstances. God, how can this be? I'm your child. I don't deserve this. You know, fill in the blanks. You guys have been there as evidenced by your hand. It doesn't matter in the end because what you're wanting to do is not to get out of your circumstances if the Lord wants you there, but you want to be ready to testify within those circumstances. You want to be ready. You don't want to be dependent on the circumstances to bring you peace. You want God to bring you peace in the midst of the circumstance because he says, just like he said to Paul, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you die, you're coming into my presence unhindered. And there's a lot of fear that goes with that, a lot of risk. A lot of things in me that wanted the flight rather than fight mechanism, depending on the circumstances. I even had that. We, bu we booked tickets finally after 10 years. My wife and I booked tickets for the whole family to go to Korea. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden it's like, well, we might have nuclear war. Is that bringing any worry? We're not going to North Korea, just so you know. I, I want to go to the border. Wendy doesn't want to go to the border. I want to go to the border. I just want to go, hey. <laughs> I was here by God. I'm testifying. No. I don't know. I just want to see it because I've always wanted to see it. But um, then everything is crazy. And, you just, I, and I'm, I'll be totally transparent here. As, as the news started to ramp up, the whole thing with North Korea and the threats they're in, my anxiety started going with it. And then I had to go, Lord, 
For 10 years, we wanted to see the kids that we brought in our home here. You know we wanted to go, <laughs> in a sense, to Rome, not Rome. We're not going to be in front of an emperor. But I want to I I see these kids that we've had in our home, many of whom that we've baptized in the Pacific Ocean uh, after being in our home. It's been a blessed experience. And then we finally get the tickets bought after a decade of waiting. And then this stuff comes out. That's just a, a real simple example of how your anxiety can go up based on circumstances changing, not for the better, but for the worse. In this case, because of some ruler, this despot, that's just doing crazy stuff and our response to it. But, but I had to go, Lord, you're with us. Lord, we're going. Lord, take care of us. And we're going to trust you. And really, it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> I mean, really. It's not that something to let get into my soul. But it can. And, I, and I, I'm not saying that's the same as Paul. But it's one example in my life where just recently I'm fighting anxiety. I'm fighting circumstances. I'm fighting a ruler in some way and the, and the threat that goes with it. And all I want to do is get to Korea and see these kids. And I, I'm not going to let fear make me change my plans. And that may be foolish to some. I'm sure some of our family are going, please, let's postpone the trip. And we're like, no, we want to get there. We want to see those kids. We want to be with them. So anyway, personal experience. Um, I know it's getting late on time. Let's just read how this ends. And... Um, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. Now when some days had passed, verse 13, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. And as they stayed there for many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a man left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone, before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. That's great, isn't it? I mean, that's just. That is grateful for those laws, I'm sure. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in this case of such evils as I supposed. So it's like, I didn't find anything bad about this guy. And what's he doing here? He's recounting for King Agrippa so he can get some help because he doesn't want to send Paul to Rome without reasonable reason to do so, and definitely doesn't want to come across as inadequate for not being able to try this simple case. Verse 19, rather they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you will hear him. Isn't this interesting? God is amazing in his plans. I want to hear him too. <laughs> That's no accident. Verse 23. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall, that is the theater, that picture we put up earlier, with the military tribunes and the prominent men in the city. And so you have this big, huge thing, front page news. They're all gathering at the theater to hear about this whole drama unfolding before their eyes. It says, then at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found 
that he had done nothing deserving death. And he himself appealed to the emperor. I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So the next chapter we'll see next week is him giving a defense, Paul, that is, to King Agrippa. He's going to engage in this whole testimony again, and he's going to do the whole thing again. But he's, he's here in this, in this vital place in Caesarea in, in a huge opportunity to give credence to God, having sent his son to, to save the world from their sin, who died on a cross, but yet who rose again from the dead. And, and Paul is faithful through these things. And I can only imagine why is because Jesus told him originally that he was going to be with him and he was going to testify to the glorious goodness and faithfulness <laughs> and love of Jesus Christ. Observations, Paul continues to trust the Lord's will. Simple. It's hard, but simple. God works through lost world leaders. Can I get a witness? Paul has to wait, and then he has to wait some more. Guys, we're not good at waiting. It's hard, but it's so important. That's how we grow. <coughs> Rome respected citizens' rights. Right there is a, is a, is a reason to, to take uh, note that that's a special thing. It didn't have to be that way. Paul was ready and willing to testify. I'll ask you this question. Have we seen this scene before? Paul's experience mirrors whose? Jesus. He gets charged for crimes he didn't commit by the Jewish leadership. He's brought before the Romans who are in control. The Romans, like Pontius Pilate, what did he say? I don't find any guilt in this man. Here's Festus saying, I don't find any guilt worth, you know, uh, being worthy of death. He looks just like Jesus. I wonder if Paul just goes, wait a second, I know this. I'm looking like Jesus. I'm in, I, I, I'm, he's transforming me to be like him. Here I am ha having the privilege of suffering like, in a sense like he did. We need to be in community to support each other. And Paul's alone. He can feel alone. He can feel rejected. He can be all these things. But is he alone? Ever? Are you? Ask your soul right now. Am I ever alone, God? Ever? Hear him say to you, never. You're never alone. Ever. I think I'm going to stop there. Let the worship team come up and let's give God thanks and praise for being faithful, for moving in world events, for never leaving or forsaking us. And I would say that um, as we worship in these last songs, if you need prayer, We'll have people up here. I'll be up here. Um, they may be at the cross as well. You can totally get prayer as we need prayer from each other, right? Prayer to the Lord to have his ear together. And we can pray for any needs. If you're sick, we can pray for you. If you're going through trial, if you're nervous about something, God's allowing in your life, then come get prayer. I also have communion available. Uh, I encourage everyone to celebrate communion. There's nothing like that uh, cup and that bread. 
to again remind our souls of how much God loves us, that he sent his only son to die in our place, suffering on a cross, shedding his own blood, having his own body broken so that we could be forgiven of the sin that we committed before him. And so you have the righteous suffering for the guilty, and that reminds us of the great price that was paid so that we could know the faithfulness and love of God. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't given your life to the Lord, for one, I just invite you to, to really consider how much God loves you, that he would send Jesus in your place, in your stead, to take your penalty so that you could receive the communion in faith like the believers are invited to you by Jesus himself, that you would know the forgiveness of your sin once and for all. Um, the last thing that Jesus cried out were these powerful words, it is finished, meaning I have done what I've come to do. I have sealed what I've come to seal. I have won what I've come to win, and that is sinful men and women. I have done what was needed to do and dying in their place. So you could partake of that this morning. And then finally, let's just stand together. Let's worship. Let's lift our voices to a God who's worthy. And uh, why don't you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, we just were humbled and thankful for the account by Luke of Paul's experience, God, doing these crazy things in your name and, and, and having such big audiences to proclaim your truth before. And uh, God, there's, at some point, all of us, Lord, you know us so well. Uh, we all experience anxiety. We all experience nervousness. We always uh, want to know what your will is, but we oftentimes are very confused about what that is. And so, God, we would ask this morning that you would minister to us, that you would remind us of your presence that never leaves, that you are with us, God, through your Holy Spirit and continually working out your will in our lives for not only our benefit, but our community's benefit, for the country's benefit, for the world's benefit. And so use us now, speak to us now, encourage us through prayer for one another. 